Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. We're going to take a break from our current disaster, the coronavirus pandemic, and look at the continuing fallout from previous disasters, California's recent string of wildfires. We'll start with a San Francisco federal judge's order to require Pacific Gas and Electric to take a series of steps to improve its safety practices and head off future disasters. KQED's Raquel Maria Dillon reports. U.S. District Judge William Alsup has spent the last year and a half trying to force PG&E to dramatically expand inspections of its transmission and distribution lines. Alsup oversees PG&E's criminal probation for federal safety violations in the 2010 San Bruno pipeline explosion. In an order yesterday, he says the single largest privately owned utility in America cannot safely deliver power to California, and PG&E's vegetation management program is, quote, sloppy and unreliable. Alsop wrote that PG&E cheated on maintenance of its grid to pay out dividends and bonuses, making the grid unsafe to operate during annual high winds. A PG&E spokesman says the company is aware of the court's order and currently reviewing it. For the California Report, I'm Raquel Maria Dillon. For the last month, 70,000 PG&E fire victims have been voting on a multi-billion dollar compensation deal with the utility. Many lost loved ones and homes to fires caused by PG&E equipment. The lawsuits and liabilities from all that caused the utility to file for bankruptcy last year. PG&E now needs two-thirds of fire survivors to vote yes to get its reorganization plan approved. Now it's got support from an unlikely corner. Activist Erin Brockovich, who made her name going after PG&E, is supporting this deal. The utility has even been citing her on press releases to signal that support. We recently spoke by phone. This is about the fire victims and all of us working very hard to help make them as whole as possible so they can get on with their lives. All the attorneys were present in court and at the table to get to the agreement that we're at. Lawyers for survivors who want this deal passed hired Brockovich and have been paying her as a consultant. But another group of survivors takes issue with the deal because half the money would be paid into a trust for victims as PG&E stock. And so, with COVID-19 roiling markets, what was once a $13.5 billion deal may be worth quite a bit less, opponents say. How are fire survivors processing all of this? Well, we called up Veda Buffard, who lost her paradise home in the campfire. She now lives in Knoxville, Tennessee, and she says she's confused about how to vote. And she hasn't even gotten a ballot. No, I haven't received anything. And uh, I talked to my friend in paradise yesterday, and she has not 
received one either. The PG&E fire survivors who told me they didn't get ballots, well, none of them have lawyers. I've asked PG&E, PG&E's lawyers, the U.S. trustee and others why that is, and there's been no answer yet. But a court filing last night made this clear. Buffard has every reason to be confused. PG&E's deal with fire victims is still under negotiations. The amount of money and timing of payments to victims, well, it's all up in the air right now. This one month into the vote by survivors with just two weeks left. That has Buffard wondering this. Why are we being asked to vote on something that's not completed? just seems crazy. A PG&E spokesperson said last night the utility doesn't consider the amount of the settlement fluid. Meanwhile, we did talk more with Aaron Brockovich about some concerns that wildfire survivors had brought to us here at the California Report. Here is that part of our interview. So I have an uncomfortable question, but I think it's an important one. Um, I did have some fire victims come to me and say that you had reached out to them, and then once they signed on, they kind of got rerouted to other people in your group, which I'm sure is not uncommon. I mean, it's a large group of lawyers, but that you never personally reached out. Um, do you have anything that you can say just to explain sort of how it works and why they didn't hear from you again? Well, first of all, I never reach out to anybody. I don't like get a list of names and contact anybody ever. That's not true. When people email me, I respond. I respond by email. How can I help you? It could be an email. I'm a fire victim. Um, how do I become involved in the lawsuit? I'll write back and say, this is the groups that I've been working with. We're having a town hall. You can show up. Would you like me to have somebody reach out to you? If they say yes, I can connect them. And from there, unless I hear back from them that, they're having a problem, I don't always come back. I'll know they're there. I'll see them in a community meeting. They'll come up and say, thank you. We talk. I find out how they are. And if they don't come back to me and say, there is a problem, I've been lost through the system, uh, I wouldn't know that. And if I did know that, and when I have found that out, I'll get back in touch with the firm. I'm in there. What's happened? Did somebody slide through the cracks? Are you backed up? Let's make sure you keep communication with them going because they're feeling frustrated. I appreciate your response to that question. I know it's uncomfortable. Um, and, and that what you said about email, does that no, also I'm, apply listen, to... I'm actually happy to answer anything. I'm the one down in the group crowd for 20 years with people during disasters. And all kinds of emotions and feelings come up. I have no problem answering any question. Uh, no problem getting involved. And anybody that's written to me, I respond. But I don't go soliciting people. So I'm not sure where that came from. Again, thank you for that. And just so that I'm clear, what you said about responding to people's emails, does that also apply to phone calls? I mean, again, I'm sure you're inundated with people calling you, but um, in this particular... Oh, yes. And there, there's so many, sometimes there's so many phone calls. And, you know, I, I travel a lot. There could be moments where I'm backlogged or I, I didn't get back to somebody. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm perfect. And, you know, I definitely have so many people in my life in these communities that are quite persistent with me. And they're like, Aaron, I've called you twice. I'm like, oh, my God. And I get immediately on the phone. But if there's been somebody that has called and didn't get a call back, listen, uh, could that happen? 
maybe it did. But I work extremely hard to make sure I answer all emails, all texts, all phone calls, thousands of them a month, as efficiently as I can. All right, Aaron Brockovich, I thank you so very much for your time. Thank you for calling. That was Aaron Brockovich. Our thanks to her. Well, hot weather last weekend was a reminder that fire season isn't just around the corner, it is already here. So we reached out to Cal Fire Captain Scott McLean, whose voice you might recognize. He's the department's spokesman and always seems to know what's going on. He is also retiring this week. I asked him what challenges Cal Fire faces in the near future and what's on his mind as he leaves the department. Looking at the big picture, the well-being of our firefighters, seriously. Um, what they're having to contend with, the uh, you know the addition of the COVID-19 aspect to them, uh, it's just one more uh, thing put on their shoulders. What's it going to be for wildfire season? We're way below our averages as far as the moisture content, our snowpack, our rainfall, etc. So we could be very busy this summer. Our uh, seasonal or our firefighter ones are starting to come back on board with us, and that's those are about 26. 100 individuals on a regular basis to come back every year. What has surprised you the most about the way that this pandemic has changed firefighting, whether it's the way you all check in with each other or, you know, the plans for the year ahead? What's been the most striking thing to you? I'm, I hate to say it, but I'm 66 years old. So I've seen a few things in my life, uh, but this definitely takes it. Uh, it's just the preparation, the concern or the well-being of our all of our firefighters and all of our public safety entities, um, the nurses, the doctors, the police, the fire, all of those folks. And it rolls into the well-being of their families as well. So you have that thought process of needing to protect oneself but at the same time worrying about our family at home as far as their will be. So it, it just compounded, I guess is a good word, yeah. as to what's taking place right now. Uh, we do our job. We chose this profession, and we will continue to do so. We will continue to respond. This is actually your last week on the job in the department. You are retiring today. How does it feel? Um, I've never done this before. Uh, that's the best way I can explain it. It's bittersweet. A uh, lot of emotions, of course. Uh, I do have three sons. Oh, and by the way, five grandsons. Um, my three sons are in the fire service. It's not goodbye, but more of a we'll see you later scenario. <laughs> it's definitely a, a, a bond that will never go away. We're going to miss you, Scotty. Thank you. Uh, really appreciate it. And that's the type of stuff that keeps me going. <laughs> Thank you for your service all these years, seriously. Not a problem. Thank you. You're going to be hearing a lot about unemployment in the coming hours as the weekly national numbers come out again today. And once again, it's pretty bleak. Ever since the COVID-19 pandemic took hold, it's been clear from your emails and tweets to us that for so many of you, the process of filing for unemployment benefits has been confusing and sometimes infuriating. For answers, we called up Jenna Gary. She's a senior attorney at Legal Aid at work, and we began by asking her about the technical issues that people are coming up against when they try to file their claims. I think what we're seeing is you had a very stagnant system built on very old IT 
that is not able to be dynamic and you now have a new unemployment insurance program that it just opened up the floodgates, you know, this is pretty unfortunate because I don't know if you're aware, but prior to all this happening, the EDD actually was about, they either had, were about to put out a request for proposals to revamp their entire online system for unemployment insurance, state disability insurance, and paid family leave. And so that work was supposed to start this coming fall because they recognized how outdated their system is. I mean, this is a system from like the 90s that just can't deal with the modern complexity and, you know, update to the technology that we have today. One question that a number of people have asked is, what if you've exhausted some or all of your previous benefits? What now? Do you qualify for new, you know, a new round of benefits? Is that clear? That question's a little complicated because it's really going to depend on your specific situation. But mm-hmm. part of the Federal CARES Act did create the PUEC program, which allowed people who had exhausted state UI benefits to have an additional 13 weeks of unemployment insurance. That program is not yet up and running, and we have not gotten any guidance from the EDD when that will be up and people will be able to apply for that. However, for individuals who had previously exhausted their state unemployment insurance, had gone back to work, but now are unemployed for any COVID-19 related reasons, they can apply for pandemic unemployment assistance. And that application is live today. What do you think the issues folks are having now say about the infrastructure of unemployment support as a whole? I think absolutely this pandemic and crisis has highlighted just the utter failing of our social safety net system. Um, And we see this if we compare what's happening here to other countries who had systems already in place where we're trying to build ours from, you know, from nothing. And it's extremely difficult. And I think this is most highlighted in the context of our undocumented community. I mean, right now, these individuals are in, I mean, I can't stress enough how difficult the situation is if they are currently unemployed. They have no state or federal programs that can provide for them as they're trying to house themselves and feed their families. And while we were so excited about the governor's announcement to set up the disaster relief funds that will provide some, you know, some help in in the form of one-time payment. There's no program currently for them that allows for continued wage replacement benefits during this time. So what would you say to people right now who are dealing with both the uncertainty of unemployment and the frustration of a system that seems to be broken? I think the greatest thing is that you have to be patient, but persistent, and that people are working really hard to fix these issues and get the best guidance out so that people can get the benefits they need. But be aware that your claim is going to be backdated to the date that you last worked. So while it may take a while, and I know just time in and of itself is dire for people who have to pay rent and have to pay bills, but eventually you should get paid for the entire time that you were eligible for unemployment insurance or the new pandemic unemployment assistance. Again, that was Jenna Gary of Legal Aid at Work. Our thanks to her. 
Governor Gavin Newsom says it is not safe to loosen shelter-at-home orders unless hospitals can handle a potential surge in COVID-19 cases. Even though California seems to have flattened the curve so far, a future spike is possible, especially when current restrictions soften. KQED science reporter Leslie McClurg looks at how well some hospitals are prepared. Last month, David Intwistle, the CEO of Stanford Healthcare, braced for the worst. We literally thought we would have hundreds of patients. Models suggested he needed 1,000 hospital beds. At the time, he had 600. So Stanford, like all California hospitals, canceled elective surgeries. Everything from tummy tucks to brain surgery was put on hold. The move freed up beds, staff, and conserved precious resources like masks. Then medical leaders around the Bay Area spent hours on Zoom calls discussing contingency plans for potential patient overflows. It was incredibly complicated and incredibly time-consuming. Dr. Adrian Green is the chief medical officer at UCSF. We have mostly done this as our day job since the beginning of February when we had our first couple of patients here. UCSF's surge plan includes extra tents outside of hospitals, a new mobile clinic, and two decommissioned floors at one of its hospitals just open to care for coronavirus patients. We're now ready, and we have all the building blocks to be prepared for a resurgence if it happens. Officials set plans in motion across the state. In San Diego, hospitals converted college dormitories to alternative care sites. In Los Angeles, a Navy ship hospital harbored off the coast, and 3D printing was used to manufacture ventilator parts. But an overwhelming surge never hit. In mid-March, Governor Newsom predicted more than 25 million Californians could get coronavirus. To date, around 50,000 people have tested positive. But Dr. Stephen Lockhart, the chief medical officer for Sutter Health, says all the planning will pay off. We have now built in the muscle memory to be able to surge when needed. Whether that's a future spike in coronavirus or California's next devastating disaster, like a deadly wildfire or an earthquake. For the California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg. And that's the California Report for this Thursday, April 30th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Have a great day, everyone. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Ideas for storing leftover paint to keep it fresh and tips for using it up can be found at paintcare.org. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems, and Earth Justice, a national nonprofit law organization fighting for the right to a healthy environment. Earth Justice, because the Earth needs a good lawyer. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.